This is Arcadia Cast, brought to you by Camp Arcadia on the shores of beautiful Lake Michigan. Here you get to listen in on the stimulating lectures of thoughtful and engaging Christian leaders from across the country, like extended TED Talks from a Christian perspective. Today's talk is from Dr. Arthur Just, Professor of Exegetical Theology at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. I'd love to spend the next 45 minutes just commenting on Scott's brilliant lecture, (laughs) but I'm only going to do two things. One is, I have to tell my story about obedience because I love talking about my children because they're not here. Um, I have three children, a daughter who's 38 and two sons, 34 and 30. And when the boys were little, about eight and four years old, I don't remember the context, but we were in the car driving to listen to Abby sing in a choir or something like that. Linda was not with us. I don't know why. We're driving along, and the eight-year-old turns down the radio or the music, and he says, Pops, we've got something to ask you. And I said, okay, what do you want? And he goes, we noticed that you get along really well with Mom. I said, well, I'm glad, I'm, I'm glad that's true. That's great. He said, how do you do it? <laughs> and I said, I said, oh, guys, I've been waiting for this question my whole life. I said, it's so easy. Do what she says. <laughs> When she says, make your bed, make your bed. When she says, come to dinner, come to dinner, all, uh, all will be well. Now, there's obedience, man. I mean, it's you know, like, they never learned that lesson. Uh, they never did. And we had that lesson over and over again. Put the dishes in the dishwasher. I, I mean, how hard is that? Um, the second thing is a more theological one. Scott was talking about order. When I give the lecture at the seminary on the Barakon prayer, I always start with Seder, the word Seder, Passover Seder. That's the Hebrew word for order. And God is a God of order. The creation is a Seder of God's ordering the creation. Genesis is a Seder of all the the genealogies. The Bible is a Seder. God is a God of order. And, And I think that is such an important foundational understanding of who God is in the Old Testament and who God is in Jesus. Jesus brings order to the creation by calming the storms, by casting out demons, that kind of thing. He brings order. He, he restores it to what it was intended to be, good and beautiful and whole. And so order is really fundamental. And that's, that's one of the reasons, among other things, I'm a liturgical person. I like order. I like a structure. I like to pray with a structure. One of the things I haven't said, but I will, and I hope this is true for you as it is for me. I love language, and I love colics. I love the beauty of colics. I would rewrite the colic I just read to you about Joseph Arimathea. The first line is too long. As I read it, I go, I need a breath here. There's, I need a comma. There's something, or I need to break it up. But, but it, 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 it didn't sing to me. And, and, I, and I love the old colics that just have that beautiful cadence. Sometimes they're archaic, sometimes they're hard, but they are beautiful. Today we're going to do essentially Mary, but Mary for lots of reasons, because of this song that she sings, the Magnificat. Um, And, you know, when when I put this together, I think I thought it was a stretch to talk about this as a prayer of thanksgiving. But the more I've been thinking about it, 
this week in getting ready to talk to you, I actually think I'm on to something. Is this the most beautiful woman you've ever seen? Mary, El Greco's Mary? I mean, I, my, my mother bought this when we lived in Spain and framed it, put it over her bed, and, and I have it. We have it in our bedroom. And I, 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 when I see this, it's in the, in the uh, monastery of Taverna in, in Toledo in, in Spain, and it's a big painting. It's beautiful. It's, and I, and I, I want to talk about Mary. We, we need to reclaim Mary as somebody who we, we hold in great honor and esteem. One of the reasons I'm wearing my DR shirt is because having worked in Spanish-speaking countries, which are primarily Roman Catholic, and as you know, Spain, Latin America have a, a huge devotion to Mary and sometimes somewhat misguided. But I, I said to the regional director, Ted Cray, years ago when I started working with him, I said, there's one thing you gotta know. If I'm gonna work with you in Latin America, I have a high view of Mary, and I'm gonna speak of Mary. And you know, he said to me, he said, you know, when I started as a missionary in Venezuela, I did not have a high view, and I regret it. When you're evangelizing in countries that are primarily Roman Catholic, you can't be really anti-Roman Catholic. You gotta find a way to love a man, you know? And likewise, in a, in a, you know, a country that's Roman Catholic, you gotta love Mary, and you have to find a way of speaking about Mary that is biblical. There's not a lot about Mary, but the gospel that has more about Mary than any other gospel is Luke. Um, the Greek word that we use for Mary is Theotokos. She's the mother of God. And that is true. That is true. And we confess that. Always have. Uh, the, the classic confession of the faith is that Mary is the mother of God. And one of the things we don't say enough about, and we're going to see it today, is that Mary is maybe the greatest theologian in the Bible. The Magnificat may be, for my money, in, in terms of just the, the, the tightest, you know, theological statement, even more than Zechariah, is the, has the most magnificent theology. If you have the Magnificat, I always teach this, you have the entire Gospel of Luke. It's the lens by which you can read Luke. And why is Mary a theologian? Remember, she's probably very young, teens. You know, they say 15, you know, 16, something like that. How could she be such a great theologian? It's another thing about obedience. Going to church is a good thing. You know, I mean, it's, people go, you know, why do I have all these problems? Do you go to church? No, go to church, you know? When I would counsel people in the parish, they'd have all these problems. Do you go to church? No. Why don't you come to church? Let Jesus do the work that you're asking me to do. Let him give you the gifts. Let him forgive you. Let him, you know, give you the body and blood. Um, Mary went to church. She went to synagogue. And I, I say this tongue-in-cheek, she heard the barakah. She heard the prayers. She knew, she had the structure. She knew the stories. And, and I think, you know, they memorized this stuff. This is one of the reasons for the chiasms and all this stuff. You, if you structure it, you can remember it. You know, remember, people didn't have Bibles until Gutenberg. They had no Bibles. Nobody went home and read the Bible. The time when they heard the Bible was in the church. And early on, they would teach people to memorize parts of Scripture because that's how they read the Bible, by their memory, you know? 
I wish I had a better memory than I do now. And, and I, you know, back in the old days, I wish I'd memorized Bible verses and hymns. The former president of our seminary, Robert Price, he knew like hundreds of hymns. You know what I know? Beatles songs. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I have all the lyrics of the Beatles songs. It's going to do me a lot of good when I'm in prison and they're coming out. I'll, you know, I'll just sing, let it be, right? Let it be. You know, okay. You know, but, but I mean, really, I mean, it's kind of memory. And Mary, Mary had this memory. She, she knew the Bible and she, and she, and she knew the prayers. Um, this is a bad illustration, but I think it'll, it'll g- give you the point. One of the things that, that I'm going to say is the reason why we honor Mary is because of her womb. She bore in her womb the Holy One of God. And I'm going to demonstrate to you very quickly here that Luke demonstrates that misery, it, <laughs> Mary is Israel reduced to one. So the whole point of Israel was to give birth to the Messiah. And when Mary comes along and the seed is planted in her her womb, she's now the new Israel. Okay? So she's a holy person, and she has a holy place inside of her that has the Son of God. Um, When the Son of God is born, she is still holy because she bore that Son. Here's the bad illustration. What do we do with the bread and the wine that is left over after it bore the body and blood of Christ? We treat it reverently, don't we? We either consume it or we dispose of it in a way that is reverent. That's how we treat Mary. Even though she no longer holds in her body the Son of God, she did it one time. So she is a holy person for us. Um, I, think that's a, I think that's really something we need to remember. And one of the things we're going to see when we, we actually, and I'm going to give you a quick glimpse of the Magnificat here. I don't know if you can see it. It's way, it's little, little letters. I wanted to get it all on one thing. But when we look at this, we're going to see that, that she just like launches into praise. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Those are the same things. They're parallel. That's good Hebrew parallelism. My soul magnifying the Lord, my spirit is her soul rejoicing. That's magnifying the Lord in God, my Savior. But she's got all the titles there. Yahweh, Elohim, and Salvador, Soter, Savior. So she's got it all there. I think this is a form of thanksgiving. Now, even though she doesn't use the word thanksgiving, remember what I said before. Why did did, um, Jews thank God. They thank God because he reveals himself in the land. Now, why the land? Because that's where the Messiah is coming. This is the Holy Land where the Holy One is coming. Now, this might be a stretch for you, but I actually think it works. I like it, and I just thought of it this morning. Um, I think this is a yada. This is a, a, a prayer of thanksgiving because if if Mary is, is Israel reduced to one, she's now the land. Her space, her womb is Israel. And she's giving thanks that God has finally done what he promised to do. He's revealed himself in her womb. He has planted the seed of the Savior in her. I, and I, 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 I can really resonate to that. I'm a big space person, and I, I really like that. Um, one of the things we're going to see as we look at the prayer is, it, it, here, here is the yada, this is the thanksgiving. 
And the statement of motive starts here. This is all statement of motive right here. And, <clears throat> you know, you give thanks because, right? You give thanks because. Now, this is, these are all my translations. And, and I translated the Greek word, which really should be translated because as for, because because is less literary, you know? I mean, you could, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Why? Because he has looked on the humble estate for, of his servant. <clears throat> this, this for is, is not uh, uh, the same word as this. This is that, you know, and behold, you know, it's actually for behold, you know, from now on all generations will call me blessed. Why? Because he who is mighty has done great things for me, holy is his name. And then, boom, this goes into the big, you know, theological treatise that Mary has here in the Magnificat. Um, I, I do think this really is a prayer. And, and the more I look at it, the more I like it. Um, it's interesting, Scott quotes Luther today. I'm going to quote Luther to you. Um, Luther's early, this is early Luther, so here we can sort of forgive him some things, but not necessarily. One of the first things he wrote after 1517 was a treatise on the Magnificat. And years ago, remember five, what, two years ago we had the 500th anniversary. At our seminary, I'm in charge of the, the exegetical symposia, and we all had to write on Luther, and I wrote on his Magnificat, because it's Luke and, you know, it fit. Anyway, when you read that, <laughs> Luther loved Mary way more than we do. I mean, he loved, he loved Mary like a Catholic. And when you read his treatise on the Magnificat, it's, he's a Catholic there. I didn't even give you those uh, citations that would, like, you know, Scott said would make us uncomfortable. I, I give you these, though. This is Luther. And I, I think th this is a, a wonderful, these uh, two of them. And this is his dedication, and then I'll give his conclusion. But I want you to see how much, even to the end of his life, Luther held Mary in high, high regard. May the tender mother of God herself procure for me the spirit of wisdom, profitably and thoroughly to expound this song of hers so that your grace as well as we all may draw therefrom wholesome knowledge and a praiseworthy life and thus come to chant and sing this Magnificat eternally in heaven. To this may God help us. Amen. Um, <clears throat> he's not praying to Mary, but it's close. It's close. And he does in other places even talk about how that might be okay. She can intercede. Because she is alive. Remember, we don't pray to the saints, but we pray with the saints. Saints are not dead. They're alive. So we can pray with live people. I mean, we pray with the saints. I pray with you. Past, present, and future. These are his concluding prayer, uh, words. We pray, God, to give us a right understanding of this Magnificat, an understanding that consists not merely in brilliant words, but in glowing life and body and soul. May God, Christ grant us this through the intercession and for the sake of his dear mother, Mary. Um, and then this, and, and this, I want you to wrap your minds around. It's not easy, but the works is the word that I want to focus on. How can one know God better than in the works in which he is most himself? And that's what Mary talks about in the Magnificat, the works of God. And that's what Zechariah talked about, the works of God. And that's your statement of motive. That's why you pray. 
because of God's mighty, mighty, mighty works. So, very quickly here, I want to talk about Mary as Israel, as temple and ark. Now, why am I doing that? Because I want you to see that one of the great themes in Luke, um, in the infancy narrative in Luke, I think for me, as a Lutheran, I hope for you as a Lutheran, has to do with where God is present. That's why we go to church, to be in communion with the flesh of Jesus. Um, whether you like it or not, the ultimate thing that's going to be the, the whole point of heaven is full communion with Jesus and the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, without sin. And that's why we have liturgy. It's a rehearsal. It's a, it's a foretaste. And, I, and I, as I always say, it's more than a foretaste. It's already now a participation in the, 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 the worship of heaven. You know, Heaven and earth are joined together. I actually wrote a book with that title, Heaven on Earth, to indicate that that is what our worship is about. One of the great themes of Luke's gospel starting right away in the holy, holy place with Zechariah in the temple, is that there is now a shift in the locale of God's presence. For the Jews, God was present in two places. He was present in the temple, and I believe, not everybody does, but I believe Second Temple Judaism, some of you know, heard of Second Temple Judaism, that's the, the, the temple after Solomon, the temple after the exile, Herod's temple. I believe that the Jews believed that Christ, that God was present there. Because I think Jesus does. Because when he's there at 12 years old, what he says, I must be in my father's house. Now, I don't think he'd say that unless he believed his father was there. That's, I, I don't know, that's maybe too simple. But I, I think that's true. So G, uh, God is present in the temple, and God is present wherever his word is spoken. So God's word is the way in which he is present, just like he is for us. So in the synagogue, God is present. At the Passover Seder, God is present. You know, God is present where his word is spoken. And now, this is the, the radical thing. This is the thing that just changes the universe. It's the most cosmic changing event in the history of the world. God is now present in the womb of the Virgin Mary. It's astounding. And then when Jesus is born, God is present there in the incarnate Christ. Remember that the reason for Mary is the incarnation. Jesus would not be possible. I know this is without Mary. Okay? You can't. And the Catholics call her a co-redemptrix. She's a co-redeemer. Um, we can't go there, but he can't be the redeemer unless he is born of the Virgin Mary. So you need Mary for Jesus to be the redeemer. It's as simple as that. It's not that hard. Now, <clears throat> The angel Gabriel comes to Mary, and one of the first things he says is, Rejoice, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, that word rejoice is important, kyre. If you were a Greek walking along the streets, you would greet one another with the word kyre. Okay, that was the Greek greeting. It was kind of a secular greeting, so to speak. Uh, the Jews would greet each other with the greeting what? Shalom, peace, shalom. But Kyrie is unusual. And why does the angel greet her that way? Well, here I think Mary, being a good synagogue goer, she would know that in the minor prophets, that word, Kyrie, is only used of the daughter of Zion. It's not used in any other way. 
So to say rejoice is to call her the daughter of Zion, which is Israel. Now, I think Mary picks that up. Why is he calling me Israel? Um, then when it comes time for the incarnation, and I mentioned this yesterday, that you know it, it happens when the, 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 um, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and that which has begotten you is called Holy Son of God. Now, holy, what's holy? God is holy, holy of holies, holy place. Mary is now being described as containing the Holy One. But even more, the word overshadow, the power of the Most High will overshadow you, that's the word for the Shekinah. That's the cloud that goes over the temple. That's the cloud that indicates the presence of God. That cloud is coming over Mary, and she is now bearing in her womb the Son of God. Now, you know, I, I, you, you can see I love art. You, you can see how lovingly the, the, the Annunciation is, is shown by people. And this is the El Greco one. And here you see the Spirit, okay, because the Holy Spirit is coming upon her. Mary is always reading. This is my point. She's a, you know, no, she didn't have a Bible. They didn't have a Bible, but it's a great Im image to have. But she's, she's based on Scripture. Um, and and you you can see the the movement down and 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 it's it's so beautiful. Here's Goya's, and I really love this one too. And look at the size of her Bible here. The spirit is up here, you know. And you can see how the heads come together. This one is different, but I picked it because it's from the art museum in Chicago. George Whitefield, I think, Whitehead. But there's Mary. It's, and the lilies, of course, are the image of Mary. And here she is in a field. Um, what happens right after the, um, the Annunciation? There is the visitation, where Mary comes and visits her aged um, cousin, Elizabeth, who has John in her womb as well. And the visitation is the coming together, of course, of the two great figures in salvation history. And this is the occasion for the Magnificat. Now, what is the context of this? Mary is up in Nazareth. Elizabeth is down in Judea, so she's going to travel to visit her cousin. And, you know, this appears to be, at least in this icon, Joseph going with her. And here's Zechariah. So here we have all of them together. My soul magnifies the Lord. There's the Magnificat. Um, <clears throat> I, I want you to consider this, that in the visitation, Mary visiting Elizabeth in the hill country of Judea is Luke's way of indicating to us, especially the way in which he writes it, that Mary is now not just the new Israel and the new temple, but she's now the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, now that's a stretch. But if you look at early liturgies, when they, when they have hymns and they talk about Mary, they talk about the Ark of the Covenant. Now, just so that you know where I get this from, th this was from my doctoral father, and this is, these are his words. And I'm going to read them to you. I've read them here before, but I love this passage, and you can just sort of follow it along, and most of you know the story, so you can figure it out. But I hope you can see it, but I'll read it. And this is re with respect to the visitation. Um, and he's talking now about a parallel 
in 2 Samuel 6, when the ark goes into the hill country of Judea with David. The two stories open with the statement that David and Mary arose and made a journey up into the hill country into the land of Judah. On arrival, both the ark and Mary are greeted with shouts of joy. The verb used for Elizabeth's greeting in Luke 1.42, that's convoluted Greek there, is in the Septuagint used only in connection with liturgical ceremonies centered around the ark. Isn't that interesting? So it, he says it's best translated as intoned. It's like a chant that you would do for the ark. The ark on its way to Jerusalem was taken into the house of Obedidim and became a source of blessing for his house. Mary's entrance into the house of Elizabeth is also seen as a source of blessing for the house. David, in terror at the untouchable holiness of the ark, cried out, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? Elizabeth, in awe before the mother of her Lord, says, why should this happen to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And finally we read that the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obedidim three months and that Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three months. Now, that might just be a series of remarkable coincidences, okay? <laughs> but I, I, I love this. I think this is true. And it's true because what it indicates is that just like the ark was the imminent presence of God, so also is Mary. So also is Mary. So this is why we hold Mary in high regard. One of the reasons we should hold Mary in high regard is because she, as I said, is a great theologian. And th this, this is her most powerful theological statement. He, God, has regarded with favor the low estate of his servant. Mary gets the theology of the cross better than anyone. And I think she sees it because she knows who she is. I mean, she is a, a, a person from a nothing town in a nothing province, from a nothing family, except that she is from the house of David, which is one of her claims to fame. Probably quite poor, simple, lowly, and here now she's being, you know, set apart to be the mother of God. Now, back to the hymn itself, and I'm, I'm actually going to uh, show you another chiasm. I love them. This one is a great one. I love it. Um, we've already talked a little bit about this first part, but th this is where she rear backs and praises God. And as I said, these, these are parallel, and she's just, she, she's just thanking God. And as I said, this is, you, you praise God because he's done something. It's a way of thanksgiving. And you can see here, even though the word thanks is not used, we're, we're shifting into a new mode here, um, just like we were with Zechariah and the Benedictus, um, which comes, of course, after this. Um, why does she rejoice? And, and here it is. He has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Mary gets the direction right. God is the one who's looking on her. He's the one who's choosing her. It's nothing in Mary, you know. One of the things that I think is really unfortunate in the Roman Catholic doctrine of Mary is that she is immaculately conceived, that she is without sin. Um, and, and I'm not going to spend the time to show you that, but she's afraid when the angel comes to her. In Luke's gospel, 
People are afraid, why? Because they're in the presence of God, why? Because they're sinners. Sinners in the presence of God can get zapped. And when you have a, a, a magnificent kind of theophany, like an angel Gabriel coming to your house, you know, and, and appearing to you and speaking to you, as you could kind of see portrayed in those paintings, you're going to get down on your face. This, this could be the end for me, you know? Peter says it too, you know, depart from me, you know, for I'm a sinful man. He was afraid, you know? And so what does Jesus say to him? Be not afraid. That's what the angel Gabriel says to Mary. Be not afraid. I think that's absolution. That's what I teach. When Jesus says, be not afraid, he is absolving Mary. He's absolving Peter. He's absolving anybody who he says, you, you are worthy to stand in the presence of me because I forgive you. You are holy in me. It's great. I love it. Okay. So she, she understands her humble estate. She also understands that she, she's, you know, she's the beginning of a, of a whole new generation. Now, again, I could go on and on about this, but remember Jews' sense of identity was by birth, was by blood. That's why they had the genealogies. How do you know you're a Jew? It's by blood, you know? And Jesus totally destroys, these are called kinship laws, it's no longer by blood, everybody. In the, in the genealogy in Luke, it's brilliant. There are 12 epochs. 11, them, 11 of them was 77 names, and then the 12th one has one last name, and the name is Jesus, okay? It's no longer by blood, it's by faith. Faith is now the entrance into the family of God. And faith is what I think Mary is intuiting here. From now on, all generations will call me blessed because she's speaking here of the church that will call her blessed because they see, and here again, I hope you understand, she is kind of the mother of the church. I mean, if Jesus is Christ and the church is the body of Christ and Mary gives birth to Jesus, she gives birth to the church. I think that's what John is suggesting to us, both at the end of the gospel when he says to John, behold your mother. You know, and in Revelation, where she definitely has a sense of being, you know. So anyway, she, I, I think she sort of gets that. And, and here's, here's the because. Because he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. There's that word holy. She understands herself as being temple here. She's acknowledging it because his name is holy and, and his name is now in her. I take a break here. In your translations, there's probably a comma here, but I put a period here because of this beautiful chiasm. And this is where we'll end. And this is where Mary just, just shines as a theologian. And remember, chiasm is the, the, the circular structure. And I, this one really works very well. Mercy, remembrance of his mercy from generation to generation as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. And you know, offspring and Abraham, the offspring of Abraham is Jesus. You know, singular seed. Paul got that. <clears throat> so there, there you can see the, the outer frame is really good. Um, here he has shown strength with his arm, scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. 
This one might be a stretch, but that's how he helped his servant Israel, by showing strength, by scattering the prouds and the thoughts of their heart. And then this one, I think, is sort of a slam dunk right here. Mighty, rich, and then in the middle here, humble estate and the hungry. And you can see there's a chiasm within a chiasm. That's always the sign of a magnificent chiasm. (laughs) And here is the theology of the cross. Here's the theology of the cross right here. With the humble estate, exalted those of humble estate, hungry and filled with good things. Now those of you know right here, this, this is the words of Jesus. He, was, who, he who is humbled will be exalted. He who is exalted will be humbled. I mean, that, that's the statement of Jesus. He, the, he who is, you know, rejected becomes the head of the corner. You know, I mean, John's gospel is really brilliant in this. Where do you see the glory of God? You see the glory of God, not in the resurrection. You see the glory of God in the crucifixion. If you want to know who God is really like, you see the Jesus who is nailed to the cross. This is why I'm a Lutheran, because Lutherans get this better than anyone else. We get the theology of the cross. And Mary gets the theology of the cross. Um... There's a a rendition of um, the Magnificat in, I think it's in LW. We never sing it because it just didn't capture the imagination of people. But years ago, we used to sing it in um, our Kramer Chapel. And I always enjoyed it for this one reason, is when you were singing this part of the Magnificat, I loved the way this line went. It went, and the rich he shall send away empty. <laughs> and I, you know, when I, when I heard that, that might have given me the glimpse of this chiasm. You know, I mean, how counterintuitive is this? That brought down the mighty, the rich is empty, but he exalts the humble, he fills the hungry with good things. This is Sermon on the Mount. This is, this is the essence of everything that Jesus is, that he comes to the poor, he comes, he comes for the, the lowly, he comes to the broken ones. The word in Spanish, I love it, I was telling the guys the other day, the desamparados. You can't even translate it. The dispossessed, the disenfranchised, the broken ones, the ones who have been brought low by life. Mary understands herself in that place that she is one of these broken ones. And she sees that God is the one who pulls it off because he does show his strength. He does scatter the proud. That's how he helps Israel. And, you know, I I ran a deaconess program for a number of years, so I got into a theology of mercy, and I've, you know, when you do that, you see mercy everywhere. But it's because it is everywhere. Notice that Mary starts that with mercy and ends with mercy. And she has that wonderful word, remembrance. We saw that in the Benedictus, to remember. We saw that in the words of institution. Do this in remembrance of me, that God remembers and we remember. And that's really, in many ways, what Christian life is all about. I mean, what we do when we gather together as the saints is we come into the presence of the one who remembers to show us mercy, and we remember by receiving that mercy to give him thanks and praise and to, to get, come to our theme, to pray to him. 
I mean, we pray to God because he is merciful, you know? Um, <clears throat> I love it when we're, there's a collect, and I'm not going to remember where it is, but I can p- paraphrase the, um, the statement of motive. God, you show your power by showing mercy. Okay, now that's, that's the Magnificat. God's power is embodied in mercy. The choosing of Mary is an act of mercy. The choosing of you is an act of mercy. Mercy is everything. Um, one of the things you'll see in this world is, and I, and I say this very carefully, I only have five minutes, so I want to, is that there are justice people and there are mercy people. Okay, justice people have to have everything right. Okay, they have to, it's mishpat, okay? Uh, they, they need to have everything set up right. And they're generally m- miserable people because they're, they're always, you know, finding fault with other correcting people and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, um, there's a statement. It's not in Luke. It's unfortunate. It's one of the things I wish was in Luke. It's in Matthew and it's in Mark. Uh, it's a quote from Hosea uh, where Jesus, I mean, where God says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, okay? And everybody kind of uses that as sort of an anti-liturgical, anti-temple thing. And in, in a way, I suppose you could. But I think what he's saying there and why Jesus cites it is he's saying, Christians, all of you people, you worry about mercy. You be merciful. You embody mercy, love. I mean, Scott said it beautifully. But you embody, I'll take care of justice. And I've already taken care of it. Because justice happens on the cross. There's mishpat. There's justice. There's where God makes right what has gone wrong. Let him be the one to be the judge. Don't you judge. Judge not. You just show mercy. You show mercy. And I give this speech to pastor, future pastors and future deacons. I do, Please don't be a justice person in your congregation. You'll have a miserable time as a pastor. You know? These are the pure doctrine people who are always, you know. I mean, not that doctrine isn't important. Don't get me wrong. But don't obsess on that. Just have mercy on people. They don't know what you know. Let them be wrong. Have mercy on people when they come in and confess their sins to you because you're just like them. We're all broken people. As I always say, we're this far away from doing something invincibly stupid that will ruin our lives forever. <laughs> and remember, you're right there. So, And I think the Magnificat demonstrates that Mary understands this. She embodies it. And this is why we honor her, because she got it right right off the top. First hymn in the, in the, in the, um, in the Gospel of Luke, it, it's the, the hymn that I think sets the tone, as I said, for the entire theology of the cross. And you can, you can run. I call it the great reversal. This is the great reversal here. The mighty and the rich, these are the ones that God comes for. And Jesus himself is the embodiment of that. Yeah, questions. I have a couple of minutes. Yes, Rich. The reminder there of the him bringing down the mighty and exalting the yeah. humble reminds me of something I don't never quite know why Jesus told his parents about it when he went to the feast. Sit at the lower seat. Yeah. Instead of the higher one, yeah. you'll be brought up. You know. That's it. Uh, and he's talking about himself. He's talking. About yeah, exactly. That's table etiquette. You know. Um, 
here is Luther. This will be my conclusion. God is the kind of Lord who does nothing but exalt those of low degree and put down the mighty from their thrones. In short, and here it is, to break what is whole and make whole what is broken. That's Luther. Brilliant. Thank you for tuning in to Arcadia Cast, brought to you by Camp Arcadia, a Lutheran family resort and retreat center on the shores of beautiful Lake Michigan. For more episodes or to learn more about camp, please visit www.camp-arcadia.com.